I'm Hera. And I'm Aisha. And we are the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice, or SMCs. Like you, as SMCs, we decided to become mothers knowing we'd be the sole care provider and parent of our children, at least at the outset. And the Mocha is for Black. We discuss being SMCs from an intentionally Black lens. You'll connect with all the interesting and fun things about this non-traditional path. Like how you decide which sperm to use, the cold, hard truth of fertility, your reality of dating as a single mother who doesn't have a co-parent to rely on for occasional childcare, and what it's actually like to parent as an SMC. This is the Mocha Single Mothers by Choice podcast. Hey, pod. So this week, we decided to do a check-in. A lot has been happening in the last few months. Yeah, we just want to talk about how things have been going. So Aisha, what have you been up to? How are things? Oh, I am just surviving right now, still in survival mode, but I think I'm seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, navigating deep school related issues with my kid and kind of getting that insight as to what goes on with her day and what things are, what things or people are influencing her day. Yeah. And my garden, getting that up and running and, you know, that has been my saving grace and keeping me just a bit sane and trying to navigate the whole new change in mask mandates. How about you? Yeah, we just got notified that my daughter's school is going to mask optional on Monday. And I am pretty anxious about it. I think that many of the parents at school have older children and they're probably like, oh, you know, my kid's vaccinated. I feel fine. But I still have a three-year-old at home who can't have the vaccine. And so when my daughter came to me and she was like, hey, guess what? Good news. Mask optional on Monday. I was like, mask not optional for you. And she was like, oh, serious letdown. There's there's so many reasons that concerns me. One is because I think she could be the only kid in class who is going to be wearing a mask. And two, I could sense from her that she was nervous that they were going to bully her for wearing a mask, which is just mm-hmm. horrible. And it's something that I'm going to have to bring up with the school because I think that if they're going to make masking optional, I think they they also should talk to the kids about the idea that some people still don't feel safe, no matter how you feel about masks, right? Like, let's say you're like one of those people that's like, I think it does nothing, right? If you walk into a room and the person who you're meeting with is physically uncomfortable with the fact that you're not wearing a mask, to me, it's you're setting up this weird hostile situation because you're basically saying I'm doing this because this is how I feel comfortable completely regardless of the person that's around you. So I think that I, or at least I wish that schools were having these conversations about, you know, if your friend is uncomfortable with you not wearing a mask, the idea of physical distance, or perhaps even if you don't have to wear one, If it makes your friend feel safe, then maybe you should. I don't know. I think that's a lofty, that's a lofty bar because many of these kids are coming from homes where the parents don't really care about other people either. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, no, because I was at a PTA meeting with um, the board of education and these parents were like, it impinges on my child's rights to have to wear a mask. And, you know, moms with children with um, compromised immune systems were like, 
I really wish people would wear masks so that my kids could go to school and experience the same social, you know, engagement that your child experiences, right? And so I think some people just don't care. Schools are going mask optional as well. The um, school board, the school system has made it clear that they hope that people continue to wear masks so that we protect, you know, those who, you know, have compromised situations. So that's the approach my school is taking in my home. Mm-hmm. My daughter knows that she's keeping her mask on and they're pretty, both of them are really good at wearing their masks. You know, I think I shared with you that at the beginning of the year when Omicron was high, I actually upgraded their masks from the cloth ones to the paper ones and to the KN95s. And it was interesting to find that last year in December, November timeframe, my youngest kept coming home with colds, runny nose, mm-hmm. cough, and was wearing masks. But in January, when we were in the midst of the Omicron surge, I switched the little one to KN95s because she's not vaccinated and no colds, no runny nose, no nothing. And then just last week, she started wanting to wear the same mask that her sister wears, which is the regular paper mask. Mm -hmm. And then she had a cold. She came home with a cold, runny nose, everything dripping. And so this week we put back on the K95s and everything is cleared up. As long as my kids are comfortable wearing masks, they are going to continue to wear masks until things really die down in our general area. And they go to the playgrounds and no more like at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, yeah, we want to stay away from the kids who are not wearing masks. And now, since I know I can't control other people, I tell my girls, you have to wear masks and they just go and they do. Yeah. I mean, I think for the most part, my kids have been okay with it. I think it, the only resistance I'm getting is from the older one. And I think it's more of a social concern for her. And I, and I think it's just something I'm going to have to deal with the school. So speaking of school, <laughs> last night I went to a, uh, a parent social for the third grade at my school. And as a black woman, and, and I'm sure many other black women do the same thing. I'm constantly counting the room to see how many others there are. And of course, I was the only black mom who came to this event. So I was already like, oh, here we go. So I went up to the the, the crowd of, of nice white ladies. We'll just call them Becky and Karen. And, you know, we were having a, a decent conversation, but I would say most of their husbands came to the event and the husbands sort of separated off into their own little circle. And I've got to the point now where like, you know, coming by myself to these events doesn't phase me at all. It's just, you know, it's like, okay, I'm a parent. I'm going to go to the parent event. And so there were definite moments where I could tell they were trying to fish about, you know, what's your husband up to? What does he do? And it's like the DC Mm -hmm. area. So everyone's kind of concerned about like what your job is and all the things. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I was telling them, I was like, you know, I moved from, you know, we moved from Seattle and the one mom is like, oh, did you move for your husband's job? And I was like, no, I moved for my job. Of course, they didn't get what they wanted from that interaction because (laughs) it didn't say anything Mm -hmm. about my situation. And so, of course, Becky pipes up and she goes, oh, you know, that must have been really hard for your husband. Like, did he have a hard time finding a job? Of course, I turn and I say, oh, I don't have a husband. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, Karen and Becky are both kind of looking at each other like, oh, how are we going to get our foot out of our mouth? You know, and I'm just silent because I'm like, you know, eyebrow raised, like, okay, what's coming next? (laughs) because <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm waiting for that moment where they realize that they're asking questions that I, for information that I haven't offered. Right. And so, you know, they're all like, Oh, I'm so sorry. 
which to me, I was just like, well, that's a strange response. And I'm like, well, I don't know why you're sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> right? uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I've been thinking a lot about the interaction and I'm like, I think that part of the reason it got so awkward for them was that as soon as I said, I didn't have a husband, they were projecting their feelings and they were also making assumptions that there was some kind of messy divorce mm-hmm. and that it was some kind of taboo topic. And I was like, well, right. I'm fine talking about it. Do you really want to talk about sperm? <laughs> right? right. Is that what you're asking? And so, you know, Becky and Karen were all of a sudden retreating and like trying to change the conversation, which to me made it a little bit more awkward. Cause it's like, well, okay, well you wanted to know so bad that you were prying. Let's have this conversation. Right. I think, you know, I bring this up to say that oftentimes Aisha and I've talked a lot about, you know, not wearing, not particularly wearing our SMC status on our shoulder, right? Because we move through life and we're on the playground and it's almost like a, I don't necessarily feel the need to bring up that my kid has a sperm donor, but when you get in situations like this, there will be moments as a parent, especially with school-aged children where people will pry, especially if you're in a, a community that's somewhat conservative, like the one that I'm in. And I, and I often take for granted that my social circle is very uh, I don't even know if liberal is the word for it, but like progressive <laughs> so that it's no longer a thing that people are super weird about. And so mm-hmm. when I get in these moments with really conservative, non-progressive people, I just, I'm just reminded, I'm like, oh yeah, like, oh, there are people that are like still weird and close-minded about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am thankful that I am comfortable in my lifestyle enough to be like, I'm not, I'm not going to share your weirdness here. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting for me, like we had an event yesterday as well, um, a Girl Scout event, and it was the logistics of it that, that usually catches me, right? Because I'm never on time. I'm used to always being on time. So I'm always halfway flustered. And because I have always have both girls with me, I'm lugging the toddler with me who does toddler things and it's all over Mm -hmm. the place and Noel, you know, is super energetic. And so trying to get them, you know, ferried off to their various events, you know, did they have food? Did they have water? So I'm always so caught up in the logistics and trying to transport my kids from one place to the other. I barely recognize other parents except to say hi and really, really make brief and short chit chat. So there's not always enough time to get into the, you know, where's your husband, blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. I'm also in a more liberal, you know, kind of space just by osmosis. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's just like, even if I were to have conversations, people would be like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I, and I think I consciously cut them off at the past. I'm like, yeah, I'm a single mom. So, you know, I'm doing everything. I'm doing all the oh, things. So you like get proactively provide right. the information. And, and, so I think, yeah. and I think it's something that I just kind of learned over time uh-huh. to just kind of do. And I think it comes from being, when I used to be an instructor, you know, how do you make chit chat with strangers all the time? That's not uncomfortable. That's superficial and keep it moving. So it's just like, yeah, no, um, I'm a single mom. So, you know, I'm doing all of this and yeah, I need to double check to see what that's like if I have to drop two kids off. So I always gravitate more toward the operational and the logistics of things, as opposed to the whole, 
you know, what do you do? And and I personally never talk about what I do, right? Yeah. I have people who still don't know what I do. And coming to DC was quite jarring for me for that very reason, because people are like, I'm so-and-so, I work on the Hill. I'm so-and-so, I work for Amazon. Yeah. And I'm just like- What they do becomes a status. So right. I was actually on a date and and I didn't, I don't ask people things that are, that I perceive to be intrusive. And if they mm-hmm. decide to offer, for go down that path and maybe ask more details. And so I was on a date with this guy and he was like, I was, he's like, I really appreciate the fact that you didn't ask me what I did right away. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I usually wait until someone offers because yeah, there are some people who define themselves by their career. And if you're not one of those people that define yourself by your career, then there's other things to me that would be more interesting and important to learn who you are than what mm-hmm. you do for a living. So I'll certainly go down that path if somebody starts at the conversation and I don't think I'm from DC, so it doesn't really bother me if somebody starts by asking, because usually that just tells me that for them, career is something that is like a hugely defining situation. So it sort of tells mm-hmm. me more about that person. But I think in this context, I I have noticed, I mean, driving to the event, I said to myself, I'm like, you know, I am very much a gregarious introvert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. or like an extroverted introvert, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And yeah, so, yeah, no. I have like, I had some level of social anxiety just because I was like, oh, I know I'm going to be interacting with people that I wouldn't necessarily have in my social circle. It's different. Mm -hmm. It's different if like you're having friends over to your house versus this event was certainly something I wanted to go to. And it was more so because there are some social dynamics in the classroom that my daughter is having to navigate that I thought would be helpful if I was having more communication with their parents. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of forced myself into this knowing that it was going to be awkward because these are ladies that I would not, I mean, just in all honesty, with the exception of, of one, like one of the ladies I am, I am actually friendly with, but most of them, you know, I'm not, I don't live in their neighborhood. We're not having tea together. You know, it's just like, it's not, it's not necessarily my peers or my social group. So Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to be kind of awkward, but I do think that that's a good strategy of like kind of cutting it off at the pass. But at the same time, I think for me, similar to the fact that I don't think my job or career defines me, I also don't feel incredibly defined by my dating status. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel in some way defined by being an SMC, but the fact that I don't have a husband is so insignificant to me in my life that Mm -hmm. it's, it's strange that like when it comes up in conversation and for these ladies, their marriage defined them. Like they mm-hmm. were all about talking about their husbands and it was such a pivotal part of the conversation that I think right. that's probably why they asked. Yeah. And and I think in those situations, you shift the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I moved from Seattle, I had, I had to handle all of the logistics and you can't imagine the number of logistics. And we were in the middle of the pandemic. So having to mm-hmm. do a cross country trip in the middle of a pandemic, that takes them all the mm-hmm. way off into a, a conversation that does center you as the woman, the central character, yeah. the mother, right? Yeah. As I mean, a, we kept it moving. Like I, I yeah. we, like I was able to tell them, I was like, you know, when we first got to the DC area, we were in corporate housing for a hot five minutes until I saw mm-hmm. the roaches. And then I was like, okay, now we're gone. Yeah. Right. Yep. But yeah, I, I, I was fine after the interaction. I just say that like, as as folks who are maybe thinking about, about being SMCs or those whose kids are not yet in school, just be prepared for those moments where you will rock someone's world because they may be very 
you know, they, they may define themselves fairly heavily by their marriage. And I think this is not just reserved for white women. I think that, you know, we saw, we, we see it a lot in the black community as well, especially among like married black women, they Mm -hmm. will be very heavily defined by their relationship status. They, and they, and they may also surround themselves by people who are also married. So when you meet somebody who took that different path, it kind of blows your mind. Right. So Hera, I wanted to go back to something you said. So you were talking about dating and when things like careers and when things like uh, SNC status enter the picture, right? So mm-hmm. again, I dip my toes into dating and I'm just like, I, and you know, okay, so I'm on one of the apps where it doesn't let you go any further until you make a decision in the moment. And then mm-hmm. it gives you a bit of time to decide if you're going to connect with this person. And so it just feels very, rushed. Anyway, so I connected with a gentleman and, you know, at some point along the way, I felt like there were, we were at different stages in our life, right? Now to his credit, he didn't immediately ask me about SMC or, you know, my parental situation, custody situation until probably like the third conversation. Uh, So, you know, he knew I was a single mom. He knew I had the kids and that they were young. I knew that he has a a kid who is now away at college, right? So Mm -hmm. there, the similarities is that we have kids. The similarities is that we're in the same age demographic. The difference is, is he's an empty nester and Mm -hmm. I'm pretty much, my youngest is two. So I've got about another 16 years to go in this journey. When I sense those disconnects, I try to go back and I was like, dang it, this application makes me make the first move. And I'm like, I'm looking for casual He's looking for a relationship. So we had to eventually have the conversation about Mm -hmm. we're in different places, but he's like, you know, I'm cool. I'm chill. I'm not in a rush. You know, I understand your situation. Like, do you, and we'll, you know, connect when we can. But at one point he did ask me, so I don't mean to be prying, but what is, are you mommy, you know, doing this parenting thing by yourself? And I was like, yeah, you know, I've got the, I've got the two kids. So it really is a solo gig here. And he's just like, oh, he was just like, was it the divorce? I was like, oh no, the divorce was 10 years ago. No, I went to a sperm bank and I got sperm and I had my babies. (laughs) And so he's just like, oh, he was like, huh? He was like, I never would have guessed. That's interesting. I was like, well, why would you? He was like, oh, I just assumed they were from your divorce, but why? You know, yeah, so it's, it's, it's that same. Like, it's it's a similar thing to the school event because I think people just have people have their own projections based on their own lived experience, mm-hmm. and so we go through these awkward conversations with dating as well because there's always that moment where someone pries, and I understand with dating it's probably a little bit more pertinent to the situation because you want to know if there's a baby daddy drama. Or like, you know, how often you have your kids and things Mm -hmm. like that. And so I understand asking. I just, for me, it's grading when people ask too soon. Because when I know somebody has kids, I don't automatically ask what their date, what their schedule is. I expect that they're adults and they'll handle it. Right. Right. And Mm -hmm. they just won't suggest a date on a night that they have their kids. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, and I, and me too. Right. I, I don't have to lead with, oh, I'm a single mom by choice and I have to get a sitter because I'm an adult and I'll figure it out and I'll find someone to handle my kids. And if I can't, then the answer is that's probably not a good night for me. Right. And so I don't think that it's a conversation that needs to come up on date one or date two. 
I can certainly understand if you've gotten far enough where you might like to see this person on a regular basis, it might be pertinent to then share your situation. But Mm -hmm. similar to like the career conversation, it's like, if I don't offer, I'm not offering for a reason. Right, (laughs) right. right. It'll naturally come up. Yeah. Yeah. And it should naturally come up. It's like, it will naturally come up if you are, you know, naturally talking about your kids and someone is typically for me, the way it naturally comes up in dating is somebody will be talking about their kids and they will offer their particular situation. They'll be like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm really lucky because me and her mother are really close still. And we are do a really good job co-parenting. Right. And I might say, that's awesome. I don't have to co-parent at all. Right. (laughs) Right. Uh Because Uh of what choice I made. Right. And, or they'll say, you know, unfortunately it was a pretty bad divorce and they'll give me all that baggage. And I'll be like, well, this is one of the reasons I made the choice that I did. You know, it's, it will naturally come up in conversation. So I definitely think people shouldn't push, but to your point of like the mismatch, I think the thing that is really hard, a lot of women are like, oh my gosh, like if I have kids that I'm like dooming myself to be single forever. You're not right. You have a, you have all the time to to find the man. But I do think one of the things that I have found the hardest about re-entering the dating scene is that age mismatch because you don't mm-hmm. want to date a man child, right? I'm not trying right. to date somebody who's in his early 30s. Uh-huh. I'm just not there, and I don't want to have a situation where I'm like talking about TL. He's like, who's that? And I'm like, Oh, honey, (laughs) you know, like that, that's not the kind of relationship I want to have. And so you want somebody who is, who is on even, even footing when it comes to age, but then people who are in my age bracket in their forties, many people, I mean, not everybody, some people have kids later in life if they're men, but typically if they have a three-year-old and they had a marriage situation, like their marriage is still happening. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. it's usually not until the kids get older when they re-enter the dating scene. And so it's hard because realistically they're in a different place in their life. And frankly, when I have teenagers, I probably wouldn't be well-matched for somebody who has a three-year-old either. Right. I will say there, there are a few things that shifted. So we had a dating episode in season one, and this is season three, I think. And I talked about a suitor in season one. I think what's shifted, a couple of things have shifted. Um, one is the language I use. I'm intentional about the language that I use. I said with season one, the suitor was like, you know, what's your situation? I said, I use a sperm donor. And he's mm-hmm. just like, is it a sperm donor or just a dude that you hook oh, up with that you're calling that. a sperm donor, right? So that <laughs> yeah. was that, yeah. that, that conversation. I learned uh-huh. my lesson with this conversation. I said, no, I got sperm from a sperm bank, you know? So now there's no like, oh, but was it really an ex that you're calling a sperm bank? No, it was actually a sperm bank, right? So there, you know, there's concrete language that I use this time. Um, so but then I think that actually is interesting because I think that I wonder, okay, I wonder if, if because society doesn't see black women as using sperm donors, there is an automatic assumption when we say sperm donor that we actually mean deadbeat. Do you think that that's the case? I think that's the case. Okay. So, so this leads well into our next topic. So Mocha SMC, you know, one of, one of the things that Aisha and I talk about all the time is really making this path approachable for people who look like us. And also on the flip side of that, making sure that the media knows that we exist, right? And the media, sperm banks, all the people that are kind of marketing what women need to pursue this path on their own. 
And we've been pretty outspoken about the lack of black sperm. And interestingly, so in the last couple of months, I would say probably in the last six months, perhaps, we've noticed that many media outlets have started to notice. And there was an interesting article in Grio that was titled, In Pursuit of Happiness, Why Am I Choosing Between Love and Parenthood? And it was written by a Black author named Candice Marie Benbow. And she makes a lot of interesting points in, in her article. One of the things that I thought was fascinating is that she she included some data in her article to kind of give light to how often this is happening. And one of her data points was that 19% of Black women are going to sperm banks for sperm donors and, and with the intention of pursuing like the SMC life. And so this doesn't include, you know, the percentage of women who are ending up single mothers without a co-parent. Um, this is simply just those of us who are going to sperm banks, which I thought was like a pretty staggeringly large number. And she also referenced the, the existence of communities like ours. She, she did link to our community, which we appreciated in, in as evidence that like women like us are doing this. I wondered, Aisha, like, what are your thoughts about how things have changed in the years that we've been doing this, let's say in the years since Mocha SMC became a thing, like maybe three or four years ago, have you noticed a shift in your interactions with people or even like what you've seen in the media surrounding SMC-ness? Well, I will say I've definitely seen an uptick in the number of stories that talk about fertility and infertility in the Black community at large. So this year alone, we probably had three to four um, television premieres. We are seeing a number of different articles. Hera and I will be in an article. Um, So we are definitely seeing an uptick. And I do want to high five Hera because I think, you know, we are helping to change that a little bit and helping to bring the conversation around to to hear other voices and other perspectives. But I will, I will say- also say all of the people in our community have been excellent ambassadors. I am I continue to be super proud of those of you who have started out your journey, maybe a little hesitant, maybe not feeling the best about this. And I I have seen such growth with people. And, you know, you've gone from being like, I don't know if I want to tell anybody to just really embracing this. And every time you have a conversation, I think it moves this whole movement forward. So I will also say thank you to those in our community who continue to be, to champion this publicly. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree. I think we get a lot of energy. I think we get a lot of ideas. I think we get a lot of thoughts. It feeds our souls to just be participants and kind of leaders in our space. We love our, we love our people. Now I will say that while we have seen progress, it's almost like two steps forward and then a step back because we still encounter some of the same frustrations that we, we typically encounter as black people trying to change the narrative and trying to get our voices heard. And that, you know, industries are geared toward a particular audience who they perceive as their main audience. And that's who they try to, to, to cater to, right? Even though the numbers and the data might show something different, right? And so what I'm getting at is that I think these institutions are typically led by non-people of color, individuals, male, white male individuals. And so I think they still come with a perception. And I think in the U.S., there is 
still that avoidance of race relations, that avoidance of institutional racism. And I think that when you have an industry that refuses to see you, regardless of what you know to be true, regardless of what you know the numbers to be, you know, we are looking for black sperm, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's just like, well, we tried, we couldn't find it. It's like a piece of lint on my shoulder, just flick it off. We tried. Right. Well, I, I see parallels with like the 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 corporate space too, right? You'll like I've been struggling a lot in tech in just looking around and not seeing a lot of representation. And I've been thinking recently about just when you get a lot of people who are the same working in a space, they get groupthink, you know, and they're not thinking, they're not, they're not thinking about how their bottom line will change or what their bottom line be. Because I think in this sense, like we can prove that there is a significant benefit for them. You know, there's a significant cost benefit for the for them to pay attention to our demographic. Right. But it's the same in tech, right? Like there is a benefit to diversifying the room and making sure that you're able to see many different sides, especially when you look at marketing and, and things like that, but getting them to actually make that change when everybody in the boardroom is a white person who is just not even thinking about it. They have these giant blind spots. My dad always said when I was growing up, he was like, you have to change from within. Like yeah. you have to you know, change from within. Right. And so I think in this sense, like the thing that is incredibly frustrating and we've taken a little bit of a different tact because Aisha and I are kind of changing on the outside, right? Like we're not in the sperm banks. Right. But we're like, okay, one of the first steps is to raise the awareness globally that this is a thing. And maybe by doing that, the doors will open to the degree that someone can get on the inside. Yeah, I think that definitely when you diversify the room and not just one, don't token a person, you bring five or six people into the room, right? Mm -hmm. So I think once you start diversifying the room, well, first you have to acknowledge that there is this problem, right? And I think that the fact that there is avoidance because it's tied to issues with racism, race relations in this country, there is that avoidance of the issue and the topic altogether. And you really can't fix something that you either don't acknowledge or refuse to acknowledge. And that's part of the problem. And so then you don't have the people in the situation which can who can think outside of the box, right? You need her and I to kind of think outside of the box because we are literally outside of the box, mm-hmm. right? But we're trying to, to interject like, hey, there is a problem. And we want you to address the problem before it starts to address your bottom line. And I think that in these institutions, there's institution things. So when you typically think of a single mother by choice, you're thinking of an affluent white woman. When these same Mm -hmm. institutions think of black women, they think poor single mothers who are on welfare, who are leeching from the system. And so they're limited by their perception of who their customer, who they would like their customer to be rather than who their entire customer pool is. And also who doesn't want white sperm? (laughs) Right. Right. I think, yeah, I think that's a big deal. I think that there is a perception that, especially when they're telling, when they're, when their approach to marketing is, oh, we're going to give you the best, you know, we're going to, we're going to make sure that only the top 1% of people who are applying for, to be a sperm donor, make it through. There's a perception that the smartest, the healthiest, the best is going to be white sperm. And we've seen that it's not just black women who want black sperm. So that's not uh, looking at that as like, you know, a very 
antiquated view of what people are actually looking for. And especially when we talk about SMCing, we're not talking about somebody who has a partner who may be of a different race. We're talking about a person and especially a black woman who will potentially more than likely want their child to look like them, given that there is no other partner for them to identify with. So I think it's, I think it's an important topic. It's an ever evolving topic, but I do think also, you know, like we mentioned, it's a symptom of a larger problem. We want the industry to see us. Thank you all for joining us for another exciting week. We are going to be bringing you some exciting episodes with some special guests coming up soon. And yeah, have a good one. Bye now. Well, Pod, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you like what you heard, share us with your girlfriends. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So tell us what you thought of this episode on social media. On Facebook, we are at Mocha SMC Podcast. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Mocha SMC. You can find additional information on the topics from the podcast at our website at mochasmc.com. Till next time, pod. Bye now.